this December, we have been looking at different aspects of, of Mary and her response, how she played the role in the, the birth of Christ. And this passage we're looking at today is kind of the longest section of her, her speaking, her words, and it's known as the Magnificat, which is a fancy Latin word for my, my soul magnifies the Lord. Um, but I, I simply just call it Mary's song because it's kind of given as a, as, a, as a song or a poem um, praising the Lord. Occasionally I get asked, I, I moved from Ohio about four years ago, about, and, uh, you know, occasionally I get asked, like, well, well, do you like living in New York, or what do you like about New York? And I do like living in New York. I'm glad I'm here. Um, but I think I now have an answer of what I like best about the state. Unified sports. This is something that did not, uh, they did not have back in Ohio. In fact, I'd never heard of it until I came here and only starting to figure out that this is something. For those who don't know, what a unified sports is, it's a, the high school has, like they'll have the regular basketball team and then they'll have the unified basketball like right after that season. And it takes kids with learning disabilities or special needs and also kids who are typical. And they put them together on a team and you play a season. And I know they have basketball. I know... Uh, one of our, our teens did bocce, uh, unified bocce. I've seen, I think they're even doing unified theater, unified bowling. And there's all sorts of sports. I'm curious if, if other states even have that, uh, that same idea. But it gives opportunities for the kids who are often left out to shine, to have a moment to have that opportunity where they get to, to do something where they might never have a chance to, to make a very super competitive team because high school sports have gotten pretty competitive. And so I love it. I, I love so, – so Ben plays unified basketball. Ben, ben my son Ben's on the – he's on the regular bowling team and cross-country team, but he does unified basketball, um, and he just enjoys being on the team, playing with the other kids – and I get to go to the game. It's just kind of fun to watch. You know, they, they don't always dribble the way they're supposed to dribble, you know. But, they, but every kid gets a chance to make a shot and to shine. And it, it says to me, and I think it says, these kids have value. And maybe there's other part, parts of the world where they don't have that. You know, they're not valued. But they have value because, I believe they have value because they're made by God. And it just interests me that our, our kind of secular world and secular New York would have a thing that I think really is a Christian principle. That, that all people are made by God and have value because of Him, not because of what they can do or accomplish in this world. And what I want to think about is, where did our world, our modern world, get that value? Of valuing, in a sense, you could say the weak, or the, those because they're made by God. Because in the ancient world, they only cared about the powerful, and the strong, and the beautiful. The weak did not matter. And they thought nothing of disposing of the disabled or the weak. I think I've talked before about how our Roman father could decide whether to keep a child that was born 
or you know, whether to keep it or just leave it out to die. Tom Holland, he, he's become my favorite historian. He, he does the uh, podcast, The Rest is History, uh, and I've been reading a book of his. He, he loves the classic world. His, his specialty is, is Rome or the classic world in general, Greece, Persia, and all that. And he's written books on Julius Caesar. And he got drawn into that because he loves the, the story behind the classic world, the, the, you know, the fights and the battles over who would be the emperor. And, and so he writes his book with that, and that drew him in. But as he was writing that, he also became appalled at the value system of the ancient world. And he talks about how the, the, this is the values of Leonidas... Um, and he was the king of Sparta. If you've watched the movie 300, that's Leonidas, whose people practiced a peculiarly, peculiarly murderous form of eugenics. They would train their, their, their young. If someone didn't, wasn't up to snuff, they would kill them by night. Like that's, that's how the Spartans maintained their fighting form, is they killed the weak, didn't want them a part of it. Or, or he talks about, it says, uh, the values of Caesar. It says, nor were those of Caesar who was reported to have killed a million Gauls, Celts, and enslaved a million more. It was not the, just the extremes of callousness that I came to find shocking, but the lack of a sense that the poor or the weak might have any intrinsic value. And so he began to think, how in our modern world would we have that sense that the poor and the weak do have value? Where did that come from? If it, it didn't come from the Greeks, didn't come from the Persians, didn't come from the Romans, certainly not the Romans, where did we get it? And he concludes, it must have been through, through Christianity, through the Scriptures. And so, what's the source of our values of compassion and human rights that, that we think even secular America and secular Europe value so highly. It says ultimately they don't go back to the Greek philosophers. They don't go back to Roman imperialism. They go back to Paul, the Apostle Paul. His letters, I think, along with the four Gospels, are the most influential, the most impactful, the most revolutionary writings that have emerged from the ancient world. So even in our modern secular world, we are more influenced by the Word of God than people realize, than we even see ourselves. I believe there's unified sports because of what happened 2,000 years ago. And what Mary is saying in her song is she's, she's seeing that. What does she highlight? How God has chosen to work through the humble rather than through the powerful. I mean, if you think about it, if God was going to do something amazing, wouldn't you think he would do it through a general or, you know, a conqueror or a king or an emperor? <laughs> no. He's going to do it in the most humble way you can imagine. And that's what she's highlighting in her, her song. She begins... Uh, saying, so, so this is Mary's response as she, she starts to talk about a response to the truth that she has been chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah. And Mary had been given the news 
by the angel Gabriel. And we actually talked about that part a couple weeks back. And at that time, her response was very muted. And she says, may it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. Very, very faith-oriented as a response of faith. I am the Lord's servant. But at the same time, very muted. She, she didn't say much. I think Mary was a thinker. Very thoughtful in how she, she wanted to, to process things. She, you don't see a lot of words by, by Mary in, throughout the Scripture. She's very, very short. You know, she's not very talkative in that sense. Um, and when it says, when Gabriel showed up, it says she tried to discern. In other words, she tried to think out what sort of greeting the angel was giving her. Later in Luke 2, when the, the shepherds show up and talk about, you know, how the angels appear to them, it says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. In other places it talked about Mary treasured up all these things. She would, she would see things happening, and she was going to try to think about it. And rather than respond like some of us do by just talking endlessly. Um, so, but then you get the song. See, I think she'd been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. She, she had not told anyone about the birth of Christ. So she, she after she gets the news from Gabriel, she, we, it doesn't say how she told her mom or dad. She didn't talk to Joseph yet. So what does she do? She goes to see her Aunt Elizabeth down. Um, it's a 90 miles. She travels 90 miles because God had said that Aunt Elizabeth was also going to have a baby. And that was a miracle baby because Aunt Elizabeth was really old. And, and I think she was going to probably tell Elizabeth first, to tell one adult what, what was going on because she's trying to think this out. And maybe she was wondering, should I tell Elizabeth? Will she believe me that it's really, you know, the, uh, the son of God that I really didn't sleep with the man? Like, that it's really true? But she doesn't even have to tell Elizabeth because God reveals it to her. It says, Elizabeth says, when, when baby Jesus came, even while Mary was just pregnant, my baby leapt up in my womb, baby John, and, and the Holy Spirit let me know that, that your child is going to be the Son of God. So, so Mary didn't even have to be the one to try to explain what was going on. Uh, Elizabeth already knew. And this has a powerful effect on Mary. While before she was, she was dutiful, she's willing to serve God, I am the Lord's servant, um, but she was wondering what would happen next. Now, what does she do? It, it's like she bursts out with song. Her whole attitude shifts. You know, before it was like, I'm, I'll take on this task. I guess I can do this if God wants. Now she embraces what God wants for her. She's celebrating the fact that God has chosen her to be the one through whom he would do the greatest act in human history. And I don't know if she immediately just burst out into the song or if, or if maybe she wrote it down later. She kind of composed it. Um, either way, we know now this is reflecting her, her heart's joy to be a part of what God's doing. So let's look close at this passage. I think there's four insights I want to draw out of it um, that we learn from Mary within it. And the first is simply Mary engages in deep worship. Let me see what I mean. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Um, it, it's not just like, 
oh, yeah, God is good, you know, very surfacey. It is, it is deep worship from deep within. Instead of being weighed down by the immensity of the task before her, she is, is joyful in praise of what God is doing. It reminds me of Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, in Psalm 103, what is it doing? You are commanding your own soul to praise God. Right? You're commanding your own inner being. It's like you've decided, I'm going to praise God. And, and so you're, you're trying to bring your whole self around to that worship, to that heart of praise. And that's what Mary has. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices um, in what he's doing. The mighty ones has done great things. Holy is his name. Is your praise and worship like that? Or do you just kind of like, well, part of your mind's here, part of your mind's over there. You're thinking about lunch, you know. Oh, I still got to go. I got to go to Target to get one more gift. Or are you with your inner being saying, God, you are worthy of my praise. Mary engages in deep worship. The second thing at insight we see is Mary has a real and personal faith. And what I mean by that, instead of a faith that's like hypothetical, right? right where, where, well, I know things about God, you know, I kind of can, I can answer the questions on a test about God. I have these, these vague beliefs, I've mapped those out. Um, I, you know, I kind of do the right things. It is a faith that it's convinced that God is at work in her. It's personal. God chose her and is at work uh, in her life. It says, he is mindful of me. He took notice of me. I can't believe the God of the universe has regard for, for, for someone minor like I am. And, and she's, you know, says, all generations now are going to call me blessed. She's echoing Elizabeth's words to her, which is, blessed is the, is the one who who's, who's has this role. So she's taken in all these things, and, and he's done great things for me. The funny thing is, is Mary hasn't seen nothing yet, right? What's the one thing, you know, sending an angel is one thing, but the, but the other thing God has done is, is Elizabeth, the encouragement she's gotten from Elizabeth, who already knows what, what Mary's going through. That's, that's, that's one thing, and that's a good emotional support, but Mary would see so much more. So, so think about her situation, right? At this point, no one else knows. Well, God would, would provide her social support by God himself would act to change Joseph's mind. Mary would not have to try to convince him that she's still a virgin. God himself would act to do that for her. Um, God would give her spiritual confirmation, right? Because, you know, you have that event back when oh, Gabriel showed up, and you, you need those things that affirm you on the way. Well, when the shepherds show up and say, this whole host of angels appeared to us and told us to come find you, God gave her spiritual confirmation of the birth of Christ, that he really was the Son of God. God would, would give her financial support. These three rich guys from the east would show up and, you know, like gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. I'm like, myrrh? All right. But it's worth a lot of money. And so that would provide for her and Joseph 
when they, they would have to, you know, they'd actually have to flee to Egypt. And that provides the next thing God would do. God would provide protection. When Herod the king would try to kill baby Jesus, God sent them a warning and sent them off to, to, that Jesus would be raised initially in the land of Egypt. And he provided the means for them to do that. So God would continue to, to, to do all these things through Mary's life. And she had a real and personal faith. Is your faith real and personal? Or is it just hypothetical? Do you know things about God? Or do you know God? Because he's, he's active in, in your life and you, you see him at work. The third insight from Mary is she has a mindset formed by Scripture. Her song reflects different aspects of, of things from the Old Testament. And I think she recognizes a, um, you know, she recognizes things from, from her life in, in the story of Scripture. And I think that our temptation is to, instead of filtering life events through the lens of our culture, right, we, we can, something happens and we try to filter it through all the things. This is what happens in our, our day and age. She's seeing her life in light of the, the message of God's Word. And she recognizes God, the, script, the God of Scripture at work in her life. So the, the connection I see is Psalm 103 again. I think that was a, a key one where Mary says uh, they will... Um, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I think of Psalm 103, 17 where it says, but from everlasting to everlasting the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. The, the generation after generation. She's not just echoing scripture, but she's getting the same idea across. The other place where it really, she hearkens back to the Exodus event. Where Mary is talking about how he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's scattered, he's shown strength with his arm, verse 51. And he's scattered the proud. That, that sounds a lot like what God did when he claimed Israel to be his people and brought them out of Egypt. And in fact, Mary uh, is, is basically a version of the, the name Miriam. So, so Mary is the New Testament version of the Old Testament Miriam. So it's the same name. In fact, it was, it was the most common name of that that day there were marys there were lots of mary miriams in new you know that same time she was just one, one of many but miriam had a song too when miriam was moses's sister and when they came out of egypt mary miriam's song is very short but it just says and miriam sang to them sing to the lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea so it's hearkening back how, what the days when God used his strength and might to save his people. The fourth insight is the one I've already kind of highlighted a bit. And it's simply this. God's choice of the humble over the powerful. God's choice of the weak and the poor over the proud and the mighty. And so this is something we see in many of the verses of the song. It says, he was mindful of the humble state of his servant. Right? So Mary, humble state, she, she's being literal. She, she's poor. They don't have much. Mary and Joseph would, other than maybe the gifts of the Magi, would be poor 
throughout their lives. They would never have much. Um, and so he sees that. And yet he's, he's chosen me anyways. God's choosing to work through me. Verse, another verse. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Right? God's not, not working through King Herod um, or through the Roman emperor. He's, he's, he's picked this young girl from Nazareth, a nowhere town. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would not know where Nazareth was or anything about it. So you have this Mary, the most common name of her time, and almost a no-name little girl, and Nazareth, a no-name town, and that's who God has chosen, not the proud. Um, he's scattered their thoughts. And then the other verse, he's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. I can... I mean, we see this God's choice of this, not just in Mary and in Jesus, but over and over again in Scripture. Think about who God chose as his people. Imagine, you know, the two, two angels, Gabriel and Michael, and they're talking with God, you know, maybe at the beginning of history, and they're saying, God, have you, you know, figured out who you're going to pick for your people yet? Who, who, you know, what kind of people do you think you want to claim as your people on earth? And you may say, you know, Gabriel would say, hey, those Greeks, they're pretty good at philosophy. You know, maybe you'll pick the Greeks. And Michael says, oh, but the Persians, they're really good with, you know, poetry. Persia is known for their poetry. Or, oh, the Romans, they're really good at building aqueducts and building things. Maybe you want to pick them. Or maybe they go through all the different peoples. You know, maybe, maybe you want to pick the Americans. They, they make great hamburgers. Or what, what do we do, you know? <laughs> we, movies, you know, we'll, we'll be known for our... Uh, but you could go through all the peoples of the world and God says, no, no, none of them. I'm going to pick Israel. You mean you're going to pick as your people the, the slaves in Egypt? God says, yeah. They're really good. They're really good with sheep. Right? That's going to be the people I choose. Isn't that crazy? God choosing the 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 slaves in Egypt to be his people. But he's done that over and over again in, in his story. Um, the, who would lead Israel? Moses, right? Though he had once had been a prince in Egypt, he had become a shepherd in the desert. That's who would do battle with Pharaoh. Um, what, later, he would choose young David, the, smallest of his, the youngest and smallest among his brothers, to be the one to face off against Goliath. There, there's another... Uh, guy he chooses, Gideon. And when he chooses Gideon to lead his armies, this, <laughs> Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God loves to just keep picking the least and the weakest because he wants to show that it's not about our power. It's about his. It's not the military genius of Gideon that would do it. It was his power that would work. And Paul, the Apostle Paul would write about this as, who's God chosen? As his people, it says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. 
And when he chose disciples, he chose fishermen and tax collectors and failed zealots to be his followers. And friends, he's chosen people like you and me. Who but knows what God's power can do when we trust him and lean into him. But what's the key to being chosen? Humility. Right? He's not looking for those who have it all together. He's looking for those who are willing to trust him and humble themselves. Jesus said, you know who gets in the kingdom? It's those who come like little children. They're going to be the first in the door to my kingdom. The path to God, the path to salvation requires humility. It's why both, both Peter and James, two later writers, both said the same thing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Can we believe that? Right? Can we keep... We believe some crazy stuff as Christians, right? We believe the God of the universe was born as a baby. Okay, I can believe that. We believe a virgin really gave birth to a child. Yep, I can believe that. But can we believe that, that the humble are blessed and the mighty are brought down, that the most significant people in the world are the humble and not the proud? That's hard to believe in this world, isn't it? Right? We live in a world that, that says, oh, you got to self-promote. If you want to get ahead, you got to get your name out there. Right? We, we live in a world that says it's the connected who get the good jobs. It's the bold who gets the favors. We live in a world that says it's the beautiful that get all the attention or the assertive who get their way. Can we really believe in the way we live that it's not the, the mighty and powerful who matter, but the humble are the ones who really count in God's equation? Let's think about that. <laughs> let's see what we can learn from Mary. Um, let's remember that we follow a Savior who insists that blessed are the poor in spirit, that insists the meek will inherit the earth, and that says, um, if any would enter the kingdom, they come as little children. I just want to close this as kind of closing out our series as our worship team up, comes up. Um, I think Mary is, is a worthy example for us to learn from. She's worthy of honor, not, not worship, but she's worthy of honor because Mary committed herself to obedience. She says, I may not understand, but I trust you, God. Mary had a right view of herself. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary had a trust that God's will was the best when she says, may it be to you, may it be as your word has said. And Mary knew that it was not her power, not her ability that mattered, but that it is God's power at work that's really important. Father in heaven, help us learn what it means to to follow your son. Help us trust in you the way Mary did. When we don't understand, when we feel like we have nothing to offer, may we trust in, in Jesus Christ and his his at being at work in us to know that that's what really counts. 
and help us see others in the same way. We offer this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.